Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I am joined once again by Dan and Adrian this week. And this week we're talking about the sweet old topic of fear. Fear and courage is the topic of this week. As an invitation, I just want to invite you to pay attention to your relationship with fear as you listen to this conversation. How do you relate to it? When do you feel it? What are you feeling it about right now in your business, in your leadership? And just take a moment, just take this opportunity to really take inventory of how it is that you're relating to fear and then start to consider some of the things that we talk about. So let's dive in. So I'm, I'm really scared to bring up this topic, guys. <laughs> have, um, have courage, my son. I'll, I'll have courage. I'll, I'll take courage. No, I, I wanted to, um, this is something that I've heard both of you talk about multiple times. And I think it's a really, um, every time I hear it, every time I think about it, every time I talk about it with my clients, it's a really encouraging conversation for me. Is like, we make up something's wrong when we experience fear. Like, oh, I'm afraid that must mean something's wrong. Something's out of alignment, whatever the cool thing is to say right now, right? That it's um, hip and woke and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's just not the truth. Most anybody who's done anything significant in history or even in my life has done it while feeling the fear of what the consequence could be of failure or success. Um, so I wanted to just really dive into it, this idea of fear, what is it, how can we use it? Um, and what is like, what can it be for us when we take action? I'm sure there's tons of people. I'm sure there's people who are listening to this, who are feeling the fear around something right now. I know I am. Um, and, uh, I know that when I don't allow that to be something meaning wrong, bad, or broken about the thing that I'm going after, then new things open up. Yeah. Cause I, I was going to say, because people also romanticize the other side, which is like, Oh, because I'm at peace with something that means I made the right decision. Sure. <laughs> or if I'm at peace with something, that means I should now go do this. Like I'm at peace as if that is an indicator of anything as well. I didn't think about that. So that, that for me, that raises the question is, is how we feel about something. Does it even matter? Well, sure. I mean, if you think about it, I don't know if it's feeling it's intuition. And I think that goes along with like the paradox I'm thinking of is analyzing, you know, logically, Logically examining facts and situations is one, you know, like the intellect and intuitively checking that against my own gut. Like, because we have as many neuro, almost as many cells, brain cells around our, in our heart, around our chest as we do in our brain. And, and they, we intuit things. We, we key off of certain things like people's, um, posture, their way they're looking, they're breathing, they're, they're, you know, we're, we're keying off so many things and it's automatically being processed in our brain. 
So checking in is a big deal. And having, if I'm too intellectual, if I don't trust my intuition, I'll have a tendency to get very myopic in my focus. I'll miss the larger purpose. If I'm too intuitive, I'll tend to be, you know, ethereal. I'll tend to be too, as you say, airy fairy, right? Like my, I won't have my feet planted in reality. And, and uh, you know, it's called the despair of possibility, where I see all these possibilities, nothing ever comes to pass, and I'm despairing. The other one, if I'm too analytical, is the despair of necessity, where I'm grounded and I get what I need, but I never get all, you know, the bigger picture eludes me because I'm only focused on one aspect of my of my life or my survival. And that's that is my survival. Hmm. So th- that is a tension, a natural tension in life. I, I, I honestly believe. And that fear is an indicator that I'm entering into unknown territory. Now, whether this unknown territory is dangerous or not. That takes courage to 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 uh, parse to to understand, right? It's like I work with a lot of you know a lot of the executives I work with. They they'll say I don't have time for this bullshit that they want to talk to me about. Mm-hmm. You know, my staff they they want to you know I don't have time for their psychological baloney, right? I'm not a therapist. I'm their boss. There's a number of different ways of putting it, and. I don't, you know, their feedback, I, I know where their feedback's going to go. And my question is, you do? How do you know that? Well, because of the past. Well, it's very, the past is no indicator of the moment, really. It, it can give you something to think about in the moment. But that doesn't mean that what you're experiencing in the moment is the same. It's very possible that something could look like the past and be completely different, completely new, mm-hmm. right? And that what we naturally want to do, and this is a study from Harvard, they took 10 years, uh, um, Douglas Stone and um, Sheila Heen did a study on feedback over 10 years. And one of the questions they asked is, what feedback should you listen to? And what feedback should you not listen to? And the only way through their study that you can really decide which you should listen to and what you shouldn't listen to is you should listen to it (laughs) and, (laughs) and, and test it to see like, like you might initially feel like, Oh, I shouldn't listen to this, but you won't know unless you test it, unless Mm -hmm. you listen to it in in an openness or in light of over against whatever it is you want to have happen. And it's in that inquiry that you'll discover whether this is something you want to take to heart or not. And that takes courage because your body's going to be telling you, you don't have the time for it. That this isn't, you know, a good use. You're putting yourself at danger, etc. When it's just as true that by not listening to it, you could be doing that. So I wanted to ask about something that you said, Dan, because there's one of the, one of the, frameworks for fear that I got a couple of years ago, which I've, has been really useful for me and really um, available is it was Mel Robbins, her book, the five second rule and um, pretty good book. I, 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 it really impacted me. One of the things that she talks about, she tells this story of giving a keynote at the Dallas Cowboys stadium. Wow. She's about to go out on this stage and give a keynote to, I don't even know the number that that place holds, but a lot. Yeah. A lot. And, and what she says is I noticed 
that I was scared, that I had fear. And speaking from a stage was no, I mean, she was no stranger to going out onto a stage in, in an auditorium or into, you know, into a stadium or whatever. She had done this lots and lots and lots of time before. And it was just her observing that she still had fear. It wasn't going anywhere. So I'm, I'm curious as, as I relate to that and I can relate to it, just having done things over and over again. Sometimes I have fear going onto a coaching call, which I do three, four times a day now. Right. So, um, what's the difference or what's, I guess that I don't, I'm not, I guess I'm not clear on my question, but you're, you know, you oh, define it, this thing that this, that's the unknown. Yeah. That's what brings the fear up. And, and it's yeah. like, <clears throat> fear is my companion. Yeah. Right. It's just riding in the car seat next to me. Sure. I decide how I'm going to relate to the companion. Am I going to let the companion determine where the car goes or am I going to drive the car? Right. Right. And, and how fast am I going to go? Well, depending on how much I want to get the companion out of the car, that's going to determine how fast I drive. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's like, how much of the, the ride am I going to allow this, this stranger in the seat next to me to determine how I'm going to drive, where I'm going to go? Yeah. Like that, right. And so courage, I think Adrian said it well in the last training, you take courage with you. I mean, you take fear with you. That's what courage is. And it's not, you know, it's simple, but it's not easy. You know, right. it's, it's, that's what that's what character is. You know, I well, just to add to these. I mean, it's like even you could probably use talk about even using the car analysis an analogy is like fear is like the backseat driver. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's not just with you. It's got lots of opinions. Yeah, it's always talking to you. <laughs> and you know, and, and some of them might be worth listening to. You know, yeah. when, I, when I think about fear, um, the idea usually hits me is, um, which has been a practice for my own life, it, principally, it sounds like this, listen to the fear long enough until it spits out its concerns. You know, because there are some concerns that might be worth considering. That's right. It's great. And, you know, so listen, listen long. I mean, the fear is so... It's, 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 it is to humans, right? Like we, and it's built in and it, it is to your point, Dan, our friend, especially in the way of it really wants us to survive and it wants to survive in lots of ways that, that are helpful. Some of which are also just playing a smaller game, like looking good in my own eyes is essential. Like how I feel about myself. We call that confidence. We call that security. We call that like a sense of self. That's good and can be fuel being concerned about how I'm looking can also be tying my shoelaces together. And, and I'm about to do the hundred meter dash, <laughs> it, you know, it can also be that, you know, so it's also a huge hindrance because I'm caught up in self-concern or insecurity, we would call it, which is usually just prioritize self-concern over the outcome or over the other people in the room. So it's fear has its concerns that we ought to go honor we usually don't honor those concerns because we're so scared of the implications of fear. Like I'm about to do it wrong. I'm a fraud. I'm a piece of shit. They're about to find out, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm about to, I don't know what I'm doing, whatever. We might fail. Those are all legitimate concerns. They show up like fears, which is usually the indication of, um, you know, abort mission, get out of here. Don't take on the risk. 
Don't put yourself out there. Don't be vulnerable. Protect yourself. Put on the armor. Don't say 100% of what you know needs to be said. Say 80% and give yourself credit for 100%. Um, and, oh, I'm sure she picked it up in the meeting. Like, that's what people say all the time. Oh, I inferred it. Well, hmm, maybe. Maybe you inferred it. And whose fault will it be when it's not heard? Exactly. So, you know, good. I was going to say, to your point, one of the best ways to understand the concerns of fear is to look into your worst case scenario, right? Most, most times when I'm coaching people, they'll say, well, this could happen. I'll go, great. And let's look at what, if that happened, what would you do? That's right. right. If that happened, then what, you know, you can chunk that down pretty good. And what happens is I'm telling you nine out of 10 times, somebody does that. They have more confidence going into the situation. They can make a clearer choice because they looked into the worst case scenario and found all these different options. They didn't see on the other, when they weren't, un, when they were unwilling to look into it. Mm. That's right. Yeah. So anytime I also point out, you know, all the like the, the, it's already come up here in this conversation, like when you're going to put, put yourself in some kind of venture, when you're going to decide to go adventure, when you're going to decide to go take some kind of risk, I don't think there's anything you can't, you're not doing that. Let's see. Let me say it better. If, if you're authentically doing that, doing something new, fear must, it will always be there like gravity. We tend to translate fear as there's a problem instead of, oh shit, I'm actually venturing out. I'm going into an unknown land. I think I know what I'm doing. I think, you know, I know who I am. I think all this, and I've gotten as clear as I can get. And no matter what, fear is going to be there. I have is, it, to, is it I have even to. an adventure without the experience of fear? No, I don't think so. I don't no. think so. And I have this map, but I don't know the territory. I don't know what is on the road. I just know there's a road there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I believe there's a road there. It could be washed out. There could be lions, tigers, and bears. You know, who knows what's on the road? It doesn't show up on the map but I have a good sense of where I'm headed. Yeah. Well, ten, people tend to, because we personalize fear, like fear is a bad thing. Because fear shows up like insecurity and, and none of us want to feel insecure. At least we act that way. I know I act that way a lot of times. I don't want to feel insecure. And so um, in order to not feel insecure, um, I'll end up, you know, I'll end up avoiding situations that I actually fear is fear is elevated. And so in order to do that, I must uh, stunt my vision, right? I must choose a smaller vision in order to avoid the insecurity that does come with a huge vision. Yeah. You know, we, we naturally, uh, in, in, in trainings, we'll draw up a chart where we talk about vision at the top of the chart. And we talk about current reality at the bottom of the chart. And if you were to, if you were to, elevate or make something new happen, the arrow in between, we always write tension that's baked in because if you're venturing for something, um, there's going to be tension involved. So most people lower their vision in order to avoid fear as if it's going to be, you're going to be, then you're going to be scared that you're playing a small game at some point as well. So, you know, if you can do that point that Dan said earlier, like fear being a companion um, and it's just going to be here, you don't get a vote. It's in the car with you driving. It's, it's comes up. And it's not an indicator of anything except for, um, we'll talk, well, let me say it this way. Most of, um, most of the most successful people we work with have a really high risking score 
like their willingness to like their preference to feel comfortable when taking sizable business risks. Why is that? Um, usually because they're committed to the outcome way more than self, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, I can't think of the word, but anyway, saving themselves. Like, oh, this is going to work out. You know, like it's worth it. You know, and they find find themselves comfortable, at least acting comfortable, um, and when taking on sizable business risks. And the mm. people that, if we ever get to do, you know, conversations with people that aren't at the highest levels of performance, usually the risking score is much lower. Yeah, but I mean, you kind of hit on a couple of things that triggered that opened up some stuff for me, triggered things for me. One, insecurity, courage curiosity are all relationships i take to fear yeah hmm. fear isn't insecurity insecurity is what i'm making up about the fear i have right on. yeah and courage is what i'm making up about the fear if i see the possibility in the fear i take courage right and how does one do that well one does that like we just talked about get curious about what could what are the downsides what are the upsides right so in in the what Adrian's talking about that tension between risk and um it's really between risk and and looking out and seeing what could possibly go wrong balancing those right like what what are the potential pitfalls of this choice and what are the potential upsides of this choice that mm. takes curiosity that's a different relationship to fear and curiosity will breed courage courage to either choose to go forward or to go in a different direction whereas insecurity will just be a reaction usually insecurity shows up as cautious overcautious or blindly optimistic Right. So if I'm insecure, I'm probably just going to be, oh, I better not do this. Or I because I don't want the I don't want the weight and responsibility of being curious. I just choose caution. Yeah. And I get cynical about the possibility or I get overly optimistic and, and decide that no matter what happens, I can make it work. Yeah. And both are dangerous. And you well, miss things. Yeah, yeah. Curiosity, you miss opportunity, and blindly optimistic, you go broke. <laughs> I have a I have a life experience to kind of illustrate this point. We do a lot of rock climbing and canyoneering, which is you know a lot of times we're dealing with definitely death inducing falls if if anything were to go bad, and uh, or to go wrong, and we a lot of times Kate and I we will take people out who are new to it. And inevitably there's some fear around what we're up to. And, and, and also sometimes there's surprisingly a lack of fear in what we're up to. And what I always tell people that we're teaching how to, you know, drop down into these 250 foot canyons or whatever is I tell, I typically tell them cause they're trying to usually trying to get over some of the fear that they have about it and all of that kind of stuff. And I typically tell them, the most dangerous person to have out here is the one who doesn't feel fear. The one who's too comfortable with it, too comfortable to double check their knots, too comfortable to double check their belay device, too comfortable to check in with everybody else and, you know, make sure they're okay and, and not going to do anything, you know, dangerous or whatever. So it's, to me, it's just, a, it's a great analogy that there is this, 
Dan, what I hear you saying is that there is this middle ground. There's this nuance where fear serves us to be careful and curious. Maybe yeah. careful is not the right word, but, but to pay attention. Diligent. Diligent. Yeah, diligent. Yeah. Yeah, but it can also, we can allow it, we can choose to allow it to debilitate us. Or right? we can, yeah, or the other side, which is be so overly confident because it's like a protection mechanism. I'm just going to be, so, I'm going to be blindly optimistic. And, then, <laughs> yeah. and, by, and by the way, you know, that's where I, as a young man, I failed a lot because I, I mean, I broke legs and yeah. broke a lot of bones and things because I took risks that I was overly confident about, you know, yeah. and, and I learned kind of like, Oh, maybe I should think about this. What else could I do here? <laughs> yeah. You know, so the, it, it's, it is definitely a tension but I don't think, you know, I, I know I hadn't till a few years back really parsed the distinctions in this dynamic, right? Yeah. As deeply as we have. Because I mean, if your if your intention is really to hit something, these are these are tensions. Like if I'm really committed as a founder to see my business make it to the next level, there are tensions that are gonna come up, when to scale, how to scale how to give responsibility away, you know, in a way that works and, and what, what, you know, and yet still you're going to have some exposure, et cetera. These are all things that if I do blindly optimistic, will, will, could very in quickly end my, you know, the business, or if I do too cautious, could, I could have a long-term suffering and then end the business because I miss so many opportunities. Right. So it's like, how often do I stop and how often have I really how much have I really educated not only myself in this way, but those that I'm working with so that we can have an educated conversation and get more eyes on the problem. So when we do get curious, we make the best choice possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of when, when leaders are talking about culture, it's striking to me how much people don't talk about fear. It is. I don't think I've noticed it so much, even just even in this moment, how I, I, I rarely hear someone talk objectively about fear because we're so precious about it. And we feel that my guess, Chad, is that the guys that are canyoneering with you that are, are blindly optimistic are most of the dudes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why is that? It's I think to your point, Dan, it's like, hold on. If I, if I show fear, then I must be fearful and I don't want to be fearful and how that I look in my own eyes and I don't want to be fearful to other people. So let me act like I don't have very vital concerns here. I don't want to appear weak. I don't appear weak. That's right. Like being as, as if, and that's, this is Dan's point earlier. I want just to circle back to it. It's our relationship to fear that makes fear what it is. Mm. So if I have like, if I, it's not like I have it, if I am fearful, then all of a sudden I am a whole bunch of other things that I don't want to be like weak, like incompetent, like not inexperienced, ready, like inexperienced, like, like I'm, and I don't want to be those things. So now I have to like act like fear is not here, which is it's always here. So it takes a lot of energy to, to avoid the appearance or to avoid the ownership of, of fear. Instead of like having a real, I mean, if anybody's taking something on, this is why and, and I notice that people tend to go to other places. They tend to go towards drive or they tend to go towards being like motivational and inspirational. 
thinking that both of those are going to cure the fear problem. Like if we just work hard enough, then we won't be scared. Or if we just pump it full of like energy and, you know, fill the room with oxygen, all of a sudden we won't be scared either. And neither one of those deal with the fear. I mean, they're nice little cover-ups or they're nice little aims, but it's just now we're just scared of other things. Now we're scared of losing the energy or we're scared of losing the drive. It's fog machines and strobe lights. That's right. And we're scared of being afraid. We're scared of being afraid. And and being afraid is a resourceful state if I want it to be. Mm. Ironic. I mean, every every hero's journey, you know, like brave moments that we see, you know, in movies, it's easy to point it out in movies. Um, it's somebody that moved forward in spite of fear. They moved forward for noble reasons. They moved forward because something that they cared about was at stake. And so they they engulfed, they in, they incorporated all those fears and concerns, not as a problem. Um, but usually as fuel and, and they said, Oh, this thing is worth it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it really brought you, it brings up a couple of things. Uh, you, you've triggered me about, um, you know, there are different types of transformational programs out there or coaching leadership type programs. There's the outdoor experience, which is very valuable where you get out and you canyon air or you, you, you know, you, you mountain climb or you go down a river, you know, and you do rafting, et cetera. Really valuable for becoming familiar with how to handle fear, how it comes up in that. And then, and, and then what happens is, and I've seen this, we can do a lot of that, but then that you've got to be able to have that translate into relationship, right? Into like, because when you walk back into the office, it's a different kind of fear to sit down with somebody and talk to them about their performance or their lack of performance in a way that's going to open up a possibility for them to get up to what's next for them. That's a very different type of fear. And if you don't have both, you actually like the one helps, like I've, I've taken executive teams on ropes courses and so on, but I've noticed, I noticed it in early, like they, they had a hard time translating that back into what it means to be with their teams and to be in, in, a, in a corporate environment or their own company environment and press the environment to, to stretch. And, it, in, and what it takes to stretch in the wilderness is very different than what it takes to stretch interpersonally. Yeah. And you can't apply. Like, if you jump me in the wilderness, I may move. And, and it may be exactly what I needed normally. And, and a lot of times in the personal, in the, in the office, that's usually not very helpful. <laughs> you know, it, it can be in rare circumstances, but nine out of 10 times, that's not, you know, the more you put the pedal down on, on threatening and that kind of stuff, or, or trying to press somebody into it, 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 it becomes, it can be, it can backfire on you. So how do you bring the heat up? How do you bring the at-stakeness up? How do you bring the compassion up to a level that where somebody wants to move because they get what's at stake and they get what's possible? Like that takes that takes a difference. You know, how do you create that kind of environment? And yeah. that's really, that takes some finesse, takes some thought. Really, you have to be quite thoughtful before you get into it. Yeah. We- well- most, most leaders ch- aren't asking themselves what type of qual- what's the quality of the relationships that I'm aiming at with my senior team. That's right. Mm. They're not asking themselves that. They're just like, oh, I have a senior team. 
And then when it doesn't work, they're almost lost at where to look at. Like, hey, I, you know, we said this, we said that, and it didn't work. What else do I have to do, right? That's right. When you think about how you said it, when you said it, who was listening, how were they listening? Did they hear what you said, or did they just hear what they made up about what you said? Yeah. Well, it takes a lot of courage, to be honest. It really does. It takes a lot of courage to like claim current reality. It takes a lot of courage. Um, uh, for lots of reasons, and we all know them, right? Like somebody might not like it. I might be wrong. Um, you know, somebody might not like it. It's not, doesn't want maybe occur as like nice. Um, you might need to, if you got really honest about results, somebody that you love, you might need to let them go. Somebody that's worked for you for 20 years and has been checked out for the last, you know, three months, six months, three years. Yeah. Might, you know, and, and if you finally admit that an action, new action needs to take. And if you've been avoiding it for five years, like you, we know that that's an indictment on us as leaders. So I'll just keep avoiding it um, and not have the courageous conversation for fear of how it'll make me look. Cause they might say, hold on, how long you've been having these concerns? And you might be honest and say, it's been five years. And that, then all of a sudden, Hey, why didn't you talk to me five years ago? Oh, I was a, I was a chicken. Oh, I know. No, usually it's, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I didn't, yeah, man. I'm, I'm such around. a good person. I'm such, such a, a good person. I'm a hero for not telling you what, what how I was That's trying right. to know. <laughs> I said it to a guy the other day on a Harrison run, like this probably because you're not that warm with people. You probably say to yourself often, I'm going to give them enough rope to hang themselves. You ever say that? And he died laughing. He's like, I say that to myself every day because <laughs> he doesn't want to go to the real conversation so he can. So he's going to give them enough rope, which will come off like really nice. And I'm not going to be a micromanager, which is one of the famous, you know, Excuses. judgments, cultural judgment about me, somebody being a micromanager. So okay, I get to not be that, but I also get to abdicate all responsibility that I have to the outcomes and to the team and who I am to them simultaneously, given enough rope, rope to hang themselves. Um, so so many prices to pay in that, so in many that stand. So, and I, everybody, I, and all that to say is like that points back to the relationship we have with fear and what we think it means. Yeah. And you know, there's not, I, I don't know a company that, I, that, that, I, that we've worked with, you know, some people put together these core values, which I usually don't value that. I don't value their core values at all. Um, only because core values are typically ideals that we don't give a shit about, but it sounds nice. And most consultants that come in do that exercise as a way to seemingly produce value. Anyway, I have a few opinions about that, if you can tell. But even when they do have core values, usually courage doesn't show up or bravery doesn't show up. A lot of these other key terms, um, but the willingness to do and say whatever, whatever the moment calls for, um, which might be a version of what courage is. It's, it's, it's interesting because I, I did an exercise years ago and the guy said, well, what are your key values? What key, like if you, what was the number one value in your life? And after a long, I mean, I've really thought about it a long time because I, I came up with, well, you know, courage or risk or, you know, like a commitment. And really what it came, you know, after a long time, I realized living as my word, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's something I can check in on regularly. Did I, what did I say? Did I do it? And if I didn't, how can I reconcile it, right? And And that seemed to capture for me, those value, everything that I value, right? But I, I'll never forget how long that took me. 
I mean, I, it was weeks before I came. I went, you know, I, I, each week I was shifting my core values yeah. until, until I landed on one. And ever since then, that's what, when you say that, whenever I hear core values, I go, well, I have one. I have one. And it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and baked into living your word is, is first you got to be willing to have your word yeah. and say something, right? Am I willing to declare anything about life? That takes courage to do that in a way that is specific enough that I'm on the hook. Yeah. For it. Right. I'm willing to make a declaration, make a promise to myself and somebody else and bind us together um, in order to make something happen. Most people don't do that. Most and then, people- then you have to have the humility to look up and see if it's happening. And if it's not to own that and make a shift. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then you got to be creative on top of that, because if it isn't working now, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I most have- people, most people real quick, most people, when they, sit down with a team, they have, and they have a session around goals, but their goals are so aspirational and, and they're not actually making goals that they're committed to and willing to, and, 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 and what's possible is to make, to, to, to generate goals. I never use goals in our work, but everybody loves to say it. Um, create goals that actually are going to require us to transform as a team. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, they're going to demand that we show up in new ways in order to accomplish them. Yeah. So because we don't want to do that, we'll have aspirational goals that we're not that connected to. Uh, and how do we know we're not that connected to is we talk about them at the retreat and don't integrate them every single day in our behavior. Yeah. And we're not talking about them and checking out how are we doing against yeah. our goals on a very regular basis. And that, that really is the key, right? They've got to be simple enough and powerful enough that I want to, like they, my, my well-being depends on checking in on them. Yeah. And I've got to connect my well-being and my, the well-being of my relationships and, and my business to, to check in on them, right? And when you say something like honesty, or, and it, it, those are all good things, but how often do I really check in and see, am I doing that? Am I really showing up in this conversation in a way that I would value having a conversation with me? <laughs> Am I the type of guy I want to work for? Yeah, do I want yeah. to be with me? Would I want to work with me? Yeah, would I want to work with me? I, I, I had an interesting experience this last month. I launched Venture, which is uh, the experience that I'm hosting for men. And um, I hired a marketing coach to to help me through the launch. Cause historically I've gotten really excited about ideas and get them all together. I'm really good at doing all the hard work to get the ideas flushed out. And then when it actually comes to like putting it out in the world, that's where I've historically chosen to not show up. So I knew that there was uh, some help and some growth that I could have there. So I hired this, this coach and um, he told me, you know, you could do all of the marketing you want to do. You could, you could post and pray, which is what he calls. I love that. Love that term. You could post on post social and media pray. and pray that people will, will be interested in what you have to offer. You could do all these things and none of it's going to create results, like putting yourself at stake and actually reaching out to people, finding them where they're at and seeing if it's a fit for them. And naturally, uh, I don't know why I say naturally, historically that has scared me enough to make me not want to do it and not do it. 
and I could find every other thing I needed to do, which is even like indicative of me, like fleshing out the whole thing entirely before I'm willing to put it out there. Right. It that's, that is a form of of avoidance of what I know I should do or, or could do to actually make an impact to actually like get it into people's hands and into their lives. And so petrification of perfection. Yeah, exactly. And it was the perfect excuse. Oh, I got to make this thing awesome before I can tell anybody about it. And um, I just noticed that, you know, this was his, you know, if you want to do anything significant with this thing, you're going to have to start putting yourself at stake, reaching out to people, finding them where they're at and seeing if it's a fit. Yeah. And so I just, I, I, it was an interesting experience for me because I noticed that the place that I needed to have most courage was to not make another social media post, not go through my emails one more time, not, you know, pick up the book, but to actually like stop avoiding and just go for the action. The action in and of itself, the messaging, it wasn't hard. It wasn't scary. And the conversations that happened afterwards were typically really gracious and really connecting. And, and, but it was like, I had to have the most courage in the, as you guys were talking about in the moments where, uh, to, to be able to see how I was avoiding, Mm -hmm. that's what took the most courage. Yeah. Awareness is always the beginning, but I just want to give you a plug too, man. I think what you're doing is awesome. I've been following you. And if, if people, if you're on this call and you're a, you're a, a man with a family and a, and a career and you're, you've got these tensions going on, I recommend checking Chad's Brown's action out. In fact, you should put it in the link of this podcast so people can check it out, Chad, because it is really good work and you are fully in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% in, which is a totally different thing, right? Now I can take my fear with me because I'm clear on what I'm committed to. Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching them. Great. I mean, some good content online. I can yeah. tell you that. Thanks, man. Yeah. There's a, there's a, um, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but I, during COVID, you know, relationships got interesting. I got to meet a whole bunch of people that I'd never met before and that I would never meet in person. And I met this guy named Frank Murphy. Uh, just through an Instagram thing that Allie and I were doing together. And Frank and I became buddies. And Frank is a school teacher in middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, but he's also a children's book writer. And, and he's amazing. Like he writes the types of books. If I wrote children's books that I'd want to write. Um, he does a lot of his, so check out Frank Murphy, free plug for Frank. He does lots of cool, cool stuff about historical figures um, and I'm just, I'm a nerd. So I, I like learning all this type of stuff, like details about George Washington and Frederick Douglass and Babe Ruth and all these, he does lots of those types of books, but he did a series. Um, first one was a boy like you. The second one was a girl like you. And now there's a teacher like you and a friend like you and a, blah, blah, blah. it's all like something like you. And it's very, um, all very sincere and sweet. And it gets to the heart of the matter. Like what I think as a, I mean, things I want to say to my kids. So um, anyway, there's a page that, that strikes me. Uh, and, and the first book he put out called A Boy Like You, it's a picture of this kid up on this high dive. And, and all it says is this, and remember that fear and bravery are friends. So good. You know, 
it's weird. That gave me goosebumps. When I was in Boy Scouts, I was a young Boy Scout. We just had started. You know, a scout is trustworthy, brave, loyal, you know. Helpful and I got up on the high dive. I was, yep, I was so afraid. And all I did was keep repeating that till I walked off the edge of that diving board. <laughs> I, I mean, I just kept thinking, a scout is courage and courageous and brave. And I kept saying it, and I finally stepped off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> It gives me goosebumps for that. That I mean, he captured it. It's like yeah. courage and fear are, are friends. So. Yeah, fear, fear and bravery are friends is how he said it. And I, I just keep, I mean, there's lots of, I, I, I tend to want every moment in life to be a teaching moment with my kids, which is my own issues. Um, <laughs> Your poor kids. Yeah. No, don't worry, they'll come back and go, Dad, can you just spank me? <laughs> you shut up already and just like. I know, I know but I, would just, I, I stopped on that page because, man, if we can get that. And I mean, a lot of the core work for us when we're talking about how to really support people in a very distinct way um, to help them get what they want in life. And that happens a ton. Most of our work is around the business context, but it's not that. That's just the playground. That's just the, the specific domain. We're helping people orient themselves in such a way that they want, they decide to want something. And then they're actually willing to be in the pursuit in a way that works. And that's distinct. That's like there, 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 it requires some superhumanness to make that happen. Like to, and to find our, you know, I, I say humanness. A lot of people say being human is like the goal. I don't know. There's part of my humanity that is not the goal. There's a part of my humanity that the, it's the, it's the anchor that holds me down. So, you know, so there's requires some superhumanness. And so part of this conversation about bravery is really one of those core things one of those core, um, uh, what I want to say, one of those core filters probably um, by which to like see what's wanted and needed in order to make something happen. And the courage to really take yourself on as your first project. Like this distinction in our heads as we're sitting here listening to this podcast or, or um, thinking about implications in your own life, like how I am in this, in this tension between fear and courage, like really will generate is I'm just, I'll say it like it's gravity. Just think about it for yourself. But I think it really will generate the amount of meaning and the amount of success you'll end up having in life is like how I am in this tension. And it goes, you know, if I wasn't scared yesterday, I can be really frightened today. Yeah. This ever present conversation about how I'm relating to the circumstances of the moment. And it's all feedback for ourselves. And if we don't, if we don't, aren't willing to be this introspective, I mean, go for it. But there are, there's less to be had if I'm unwilling to be in this active conversation. Because this, the world gets smaller. If it's like, I'm only going to do what I'm comfortable doing, i.e. have less fear. Um, you just must lower your vision. Yeah. And our work for folks is to have a vision that requires personal transformation. And we, be, and we are experts at helping people make courageous decisions. Um, you know, inviting them to be, um, to, how do I want to say it? Um, to take on something new and surprise themselves with what's possible for themselves. And in order to do that in a team, it's even more complex right? Because you can't, other people aren't like you. So what works for you might not work for them. And what your interests are might not be theirs. 
Mm. And that's really easy to access. But the willingness to go access that also is going to bring up fear. Because what if it's distinct? And I'm not a psych, you know, and people say, oh, I'm not a psychologist. No, well, you're not. But if you're in a conversation about taking yourself, taking yourself seriously and also not being really romantically tied to your previous version of yourself, like I have to stay the same and actually are in an honest, honest conversation about this ever, like one vision for your life could be, I know it is for me to always be this ever evolving conversation about who I'm becoming. And if I'm there unapologetically, then I can really invite other people. Then any challenge, any failure is just fuel. And then we could talk about failures because I'm here to evolve. I'm actually here to personally transform on a daily basis. So here are my failures. Here's what I'm learning. Here's what I'm going through. Here's my bullshit. Here's my fears. Here's my insecurities. And you watch me. You won't, it won't look like people say this to me all the time. It's like around like being, um, or Ali's, I'm just thinking specifically with Ali, like that, that I, that I seem really calm. I'm like, I am not calm. You know, I, I, I have a, I have a value for being really centered. I have a value for being really grounded. Um, but I don't feel centered or grounded most of the time. I don't feel that way, but I'm really committed to being that way with others. And so I can actually be calm in the midst of crisis because that's a, you know, that's a commitment of mine. Um, so and anyway, that, that, I'm just thinking about like, why does this freaking matter? Why does this conversation matter for me? That's why it matters. And it's huge possibility that opens up if we want to step in and explore uh, these tensions. Yeah. What stuck out to me, Adrian, in that was, you said, you know, you can be, you could be, uh, I don't remember the words you use now, but you could be not fearful yesterday and frightened today. Yeah. And that's true for me. Like there's days that I'm on it and I'm like, I've got this, nothing can stop me. And I wake up the next morning and there's my old friend fear. And the, the other thing that came to mind for me, as we talk about leadership and working on teams and creating or, or causing uh, results through other people is to consider that the person on your team yesterday who didn't have any fear could be showing up fearful today. Yeah. And if you weren't curious about them, if you weren't in tune with them, you would never know. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, then that comes back into trust. Yeah. Right. How that's do right. you trust? Well, that's yeah. all. That's all another discussion. <laughs> Let's have another one, shall we? Should we do this again? Let's, Let's do it again. Okay. Chris. Just getting started. Just getting started. <laughs> I listened to this podcast with Tig Notaro and Cheryl Hines every once in a while. Really, Katie listens to it, but she. Uh, talks me into listening to an episode with her every once in a while. And they end every one of their podcasts with, should we do it again? Okay, let's do it again. I like it. <laughs> so anyway, love you gentlemen. Thank you for the power and, and for the distinctions and, and intention that you bring to this conversation. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Chad, for your thoughtful um, direction in this. And yeah. look forward to the next one. And everybody out there that are the men out there with the careers and families, do check out Chad's venture program. You won't be disappointed, I promise. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dan. All right, bye-bye, everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. 
If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye everybody.